Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Get to speak to you this morning, uh, one from the heart, which is always challenging and a little bit scary, because uh, got to be like, okay, Lord, what's going on in my heart? <laughs> but uh, I found something which is a relief. I think that there's something in my heart. No, okay. <laughs> Apart from, well, Jesus is there, and so I'm going to talk about Jesus. Um, the last few weeks, Pastor John's been talking to us about faith, hope, and love. And as I was uh, listening to those messages and reflecting upon what the Lord was just speaking to me about, I feel like um, he stirred up a few things in in my thinking uh, that hopefully as I share to you today might actually encourage and draw you into that deeper place of intimacy with the Lord as we kind of continue this journey, this, this strange time we find ourselves in. Um, I've, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a very fancy name, named after, I'm sure, some researchers or scientists. But it basically states that the more you know about something, the less confident you feel about it because you realise what you don't know. <laughs> the inverse being that people who don't know a lot about a subject can often feel very confident, sometimes overconfident, with what they know. And in this last kind of crazy time that we've found ourselves in, I realise that this has actually been a really big deal in my life. That I've really wrestled and struggled because as I've learned, as I've looked, as I've observed what's going on in my life, in my family's life, in our church, in our community, in our nation, in the world, you start to see stuff, you start to hear stuff, you start to learn a little bit. And I've done some study and I love to, to learn and I was a journalist in a former life and so researching is part of the things that I love to do. And I realized that, wow, I don't really... I can't get a grip on what's going on. I know that I don't know what's going on, but I don't know where to find out what I need to know. And I wrestle with how my heart attitude is to people who very quickly on social media and any kind of media jump to tell everyone exactly what the truth is because they know all the answers. And I'm like, there's no way you can know all the answers. So I wrestle with a bit of anxiety about knowing what to do. I wrestle with getting a little bit judgy in my heart about people who are very outspoken, who probably don't have the credentials to be so outspoken. I wrestle with this. Maybe that's just me, but maybe you've found yourself wrestling with things like that in the last little while. As we navigate what it looks like to do life mid-post-COVID, pre-mid-millennial, I don't know where we are, where things aren't the same, but they kind of look the same. It's kind of like I've been displaced from my normal place, but everything else still looks familiar. How do we do what we feel like the Lord's called us to do? How do we do life normally in the midst of that? I've been wrestling with that, and it kind of creates this latent level of uh, kind of anxiety and tension. Anyone else feeling that way in life, or is this just my confessional time? (laughs) Bit of both. Because I think we're in a time of transition and as we follow what the Lord has for us in these times, it's important to pay attention because he's not finished working in the world. And my level of discomfort and confusion and my own processing doesn't actually stop him working. 
but I don't want to miss out on what he's doing in this journey because I don't know how to follow him. So I'm going to kind of speak into that. I hope this morning, and maybe for each one of us, there might be something that God can grab a hold of in that and draw us deeper into him. As we talked about faith, hope, and love over the last few weeks, I've been kind of wrestling with, that's, that's the best framing we have to, to actually look at the world and life. If we, are, if we are anchored in Christ and faith, hope, and love are kind of our filter for the world, that should be framing everything that's going on around me. And I've, um, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but uh, I follow a bunch of different podcasts. I love to listen to podcasts on my drive to work. And for some reason, somehow, one of my favorite ones, I missed that they'd released almost a year's worth of content. It hadn't been updating. And two weeks ago, I found a whole year's worth of stuff. And I'm like, ha, oh, come on. I'm like, it's like a feast. And so I actually started listening back, and the first ones that I hadn't heard were actually at the start of lockdown. And this is a pastor in Melbourne who was speaking out of the first few weeks of lockdown last year. And it was fascinating to hear them on the way in to what has been now 18 months of complete chaos, reflecting on what God was doing and what we can learn from it. And as I listened, I thought, you know, I'm not sure that I've done a good job of actually following Jesus in this time. I'm not sure that I've actually kept my eyes fixed on him because we know ourselves and when crisis presents itself to people, humans like us, we generally kind of have these you know, flight, fright or freeze responses. Fight or flight or freeze, there's too many. <laughs> we have these responses, right? When, when everything kind of shuts down and I want to protect what's mine, and the helpful thing about human nature is it's generally true of most humans. And so if God's maybe speaking to me about this, maybe he wants to speak to you about this too. Because as we start to work out what it looks like to wrestle with all of this, we've got to work our way through this so that we can hold on to Jesus and continue to partner with him to see his kingdom purposes come about. As I was thinking about those, all of this, it was some very thoughtful car rides in the last week. I thought, you know, this kind of paints for me a picture of the disciples. I kind of feel like I could understand the disciples in a new way because we're in a time of change. That much is clearly obvious. And for the disciples, as I was reading the scriptures and listening to people talk about it, I kind of felt, you know, the disciples at the point of the crucifixion were in this moment of intense change. For, for that small group of people, everything was about to change. In fact, for the whole world, a seismic change was going to happen that took time to roll out. But for the disciples at the crucifixion, everything changed. See, for them, their entire world was Jesus, was following him, was trying to do the things that he commanded them to do because he was now the new king. He was God incarnate and everything was going to shift from this point. This is the restoring of everything, right? We are at the forefront of the change. It's the new world. It's the new time and everything's going to be better. But if we turn to Mark 14, maybe it's not that moment that they thought it would be. Let's go to Mark 14 verse 43. If you've got your Bible there, 
Jesus has just prayed in the garden. And at the end of the prayer, he says, rise in verse 42, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. In verse 43, it says this. And immediately, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him, Jesus, and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as robbers, as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him as well. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is this moment where Jesus is supposed to be crowned king and all of a sudden he's arrested. We know from the other gospel accounts, from John's gospel, that it was Peter who cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. At the moment of testing, Peter responds with the fight response. And a moment later, there's the flight. Everyone runs away. Everyone leaves. And really, to the point where their true intentions are laid bare. There's this moment of testing that they fail. In just a few verses in Mark's gospel, Peter finds himself around a fire outside the temple courts waiting to hear what's going to happen to Jesus. He's already drawn a sword and he's attacked. He's already run away. And then when a servant girl tries to pin him down, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He's denies, denies, denies. He, he freezes on the spot in his moment to be able to confess that he is one of Jesus' followers and stand up for what he believes. But Peter, in it seems like the space of an hour or two, has just failed completely in this moment of change and time and testing. When I read these accounts, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I was about 12 and then 19 where I kind of committed and recommitted like a Baptist. I'd have every week where I'd have a good recommitment just in case I didn't want to mess up. But by 19, I kind of got serious. But even from younger than that, I was really reading the Bible and really following, trying to follow the Word of God deeply. And I'd always think, these disciples, idiots. Get your act together, people. Come on. You've been hanging out with Jesus for three and a half years, and at the most important moment, you're like... And I read about the Israelites, and I'm like, oh, make better decisions, people. But then I look back on the last 18 months, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just like them. Maybe there's a whole lot more of me in Peter than I would like to admit. Because we've hit times of testing. We've hit these, these moments where we have to really be honest with ourselves. And there's, there's no clearer time of testing maybe than having to work from home. When no one's watching, would I work longer hours and neglect my family who are all there? Because I felt like that's what I had to do 
foolishly missing the opportunity just to be with my kids? Yeah. There's some days, hopefully I don't get into trouble, some days like this is all just a bit hard, I'm just going to take a bit of a longer lunch break because I'm just not coping right now. I'll just leave my email open in case, but I just need to have a moment because I'm not coping and I'm not going to be upfront about it. Because I didn't do that, I'm sure someone else did that. <laughs> but I look back and I think, did I, did I miss the moment of my testing? And as I reflect, maybe as a nation, did we miss our moment of testing? The chance we had to rally around one another, to unite, to go, hey, we're Aussies, we're in this together. We're going to look after each other. We're all battlers in this together, right? We're going to show our true values, and our true values kind of look like, well, we're just going to take every chance we get to slag off at each other, our politicians. I never would have expected there to be rioting on the news in Australia. I mean, I grew up in Queensland through the 80s, and I knew what was going on here, but I thought we'd left that behind. In that time of testing as a nation, how did we go? As a church, how do we go in our time of testing? What do we do when we couldn't do what we normally do? How do we conduct ourselves when we're physically absent from one another? How have we tended our hearts to the community of God around us? As John shared last week, a prophetic word we got, you know, has our love been so shallow that this time of testing has torn us apart? Because when we don't see each other face to face once a week, it's really easy to fill in the blanks. It's like we've had our Israelites at the Jordan River moment of crossing. It's like the promised land is in front of us. There's this time of testing. There's this invitation that when everything is going to pot, we are invited to hold tight. And at the moment of testing, we listen to the 10 spies instead of the two, maybe. I feel like I've done that. In my heart, some days, like, I just don't, it's all a bit much. It's all just a bit much. Maybe we've been like Peter at the fire where the slave girl says, aren't you one of those people that's been with Jesus? I was like, I I don't think I can say that right now. How do we go? Where are we at? What's been our moment of testing? Where has the Lord been knocking on our hearts? Because it comes to this moment of actually confronting ourselves. Come to this moment where all that is stripped away. We see this moment in, in the scripture for Peter. And it's a really interesting moment because for Peter, he denies Christ three times. The next morning, Jesus is crucified. John's the only disciple that remains and is at the foot of the cross. Peter and John and the disciples encounter the risen Christ on Easter Sunday morning. They stay in Jerusalem for the Passover. So despite the denial and despite the fighting, the, the, the anger and the violence, despite the running away, they stay. They see the risen Christ. 
have a revelation of Jesus walking through walls, blowing their minds. But when we get to the end of John's gospel, if you go to John chapter 20, 21, sorry. Verse 9. Simon Peter's there with Nathaniel and James and John and two other disciples. And it says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire had been in place, a fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Don't miss what's going on here. Don't miss the fact that there's bread and fish. But don't miss the fact that Peter, who was once a fisherman, who Jesus said to him, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, had seen the risen Christ but decided he just had to go back to what he knew. It's about 120 kilometers from Jerusalem to Galilee. Somewhere in the vicinity of three days walk, maybe four. So Peter has gone through what he's gone through. And he's encountered the risen Christ, but he doesn't know what to do, and so he's just walked. He's had plenty of time to reflect, to think, and he's gone back to what he knew. If I'm Jesus in that moment, I'm like, are you kidding me? Three and a half years. I've explained it, I've shown you, I've taught into it, and at the moment when you had to stand up, you just walked. All that ground is lost, right? Maybe that's where we've actually felt. Maybe we haven't let the side down, but maybe we've just lost all the things that we had around us. Maybe we have the perspective of, well, I had this great community. I had this great job prospect. I had this, this great opportunity. I was actually going really well with God. I was having a great time in ministry and everything's just shut down. Maybe my professional life just can't be there anymore. Maybe my, my relationships haven't made it through. I'm just going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to the time of comfort in this time of crisis. I'm going to just default back to keeping me safe as best I can. I imagine that's what Peter did. As he's wrestling, oh, I stuffed up. I denied him. Worse, he told me I'd deny him and then... I did. I, I didn't show up when I had to show up. I'm just, I'm out. I'm checking out. I'm going home. I'm just going to go and do the thing I know how to do. Makes sense, right? It's our, our human nature. So what does Jesus say to Peter in this moment? And so what is Jesus saying to us if this is our moment? Moments like none dared ask him a question. You can just imagine the tension in that moment on that beach where Peter and Jesus are finally face to face 
It's a much smaller crowd. There's nowhere to hide. I can just imagine the shame rolling off Peter. I can imagine the, the anxiety of like, oh my goodness, he knew I was going to deny him. He must know now. This is so awkward. What is going to happen? Am I in trouble? I mean, I said something good once and he praised me and the next thing you know, he's calling me Satan. Like anything can happen. I don't know where I stand right now. In John 21 verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tell my sheep. And Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Peter knows. Peter knew. Three times you've asked me. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And he starts to talk about what's in front of Peter and what's in front of John, but it says at the end, after saying this, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. See, it looks like a big reset. It looks like uh, the big turnaround. It looks like the moment. It's the Hollywood moment where everything is set right. But it's beautiful and it's subtle and it's deep and meaningful in the midst of Peter's disobedience of rejecting Jesus, of putting aside everything that Jesus had asked him to do, that had called him to do, that had empowered and sent him to do. Peter is met face to face with the unshakable love of God in Jesus. What a moment! What a moment! And there's this restoration of a commission to Peter. Peter, you have a purpose, you have a meaning, you have value, and you have things to do that are my kingdom work. I love this because this is the moment that we are invited to with Jesus when we find ourselves far from him, far from the call on our lives, maybe disconnected from the things that we know we're to be about because we've experienced Jesus no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. No matter how you've rejected him, no matter how you've rejected his people, his body, his community, no matter how embarrassed you've been to stand up for him in the community, no matter how you've let him down when no one's looking, maybe it's just been too hard and you've gone back to what you knew before. He asks us, do you still love me? And this is the beauty and the scandal of Jesus that surely those things disqualify us, right? Surely that counts us out. Surely that means we're no longer of any use to him because we failed, we've been disobedient, we have missed the mark and fallen short. He says, do you still love me? And if you do, he says, follow me. Follow me. Let's start this thing again. Let's pick up where we left off. 
And we can leave it there and go, isn't it beautiful that Jesus kind of closes the loop, as it were, that the, the three denials are met with three confessions of restoration and repentance of turning his heart back to Jesus. We could leave it there and go, isn't it beautiful that, you know, there was a miracle of loaves and fishes before and now we see Jesus presenting him again with a reminder that he's the supernatural God who can do supernatural things with natural means. He can do all these things. We can go back to the point that when, when he said, follow him on that first day, he says, follow him again, and everything starts again. But it's not done there, and this is the bit that struck me, and this is the kind of the, the grain of sand that's been rubbing in the back of my mind that I can't get past. When we find ourselves in the, the start of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, post this moment of Pentecost where Peter gets up and, and he just speaks out the word of God out of Joel and 3,000 people are saved. We, we find this moment in Acts chapter 3 and Peter's preaching outside the temple being pretty blunt about some stuff but that's Peter, right? And he says this in chapter 3 verse 19 as he's talking about the the promise of Christ coming. He says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. As Jesus restores us, as Jesus puts us back into that place of relationship with him, it's not just resetting the status quo that we're back to even and now we can go, I don't have to feel bad about the things that I did. Jesus empowers us to take that and actually give that away. I think Peter is, is speaking in chapter 3 of Acts from first-hand experience. I was racked with guilt and I was afraid and I had failed. And I looked Jesus in the eye. And I turned my heart back to him because he asked me if I still loved him. And man, the time of refreshing has come. Oh, and the load is lifted off. The things that that John was singing about in the worship time, the yoke of heaviness of this world gets lifted off and Jesus' light and easy yoke gets put on when these times of refreshing come. Peter didn't stop on the beach, but Peter was so touched by the love of God that he wanted everyone to know, turn back to him because he'll take the load off your shoulders. He doesn't leave it there. And then there's this next moment in chapter 4 where um, Peter, being Peter, gets himself into trouble. He's really good at it. It's like a spiritual gift. And in fact, gets himself in front of the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin, the the movers and shakers of the day for all things Jewish, uh, the Bible scholars of the time, and and Peter, not suffering like me from the Dunning-Kruger effect, doesn't matter how much he knows, he stands up because he has the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them what's going on. And he tells them who this Jesus is. And there's this, 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 this little moment in verse 13, which just caught something in me, and I hope it catches something in you. Now, when they, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common people, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, at... 
at the end of everything, on the other side of all of Peter's failings, of Peter's restoration, Peter didn't lose the ground that he had taken. Peter had, at best, maybe a month with Jesus after the resurrection. But in Acts chapter 3 and 4, maybe somewhere between 3 and 5 years after the crucifixion, as they are constantly proclaiming who Jesus is, the people who didn't like Jesus, who thought he was blasphemous, who stood against everything that they believed in, they could look at Peter and they go, this man's been with Jesus. See, in the midst of our time of testing and trial, in the midst of our failure and restoration, it doesn't reset our history with God. It doesn't wipe clean everything that's come before. And this is the beauty of the invitation of Jesus. When Peter was on the beach and he said, do you still love me? It didn't go great. Well, we'll wipe it all clean. You start from zero. No debts, no things, but no good things. We'll just clear it all and start from fresh. No, Jesus says, no, I'm restoring you to who you are because the restoration of Jesus brings us back and our history with God is not lost. It is redeemed and it is empowered because Peter, who failed, who didn't have any more time with Jesus, three years later, they say, you're someone who's been with Jesus. The history is not lost. What you've done in your love relationship with him has not been reset when we fail. He restores us and our history with him is powerful and meaningful and actually marks our lives. The beautiful promise of Peter's life, I think, is that our sin doesn't qualify us from our relationship with Christ if we take that time of repentance, of restoring. That he actually fills us and empowers us and his Holy Spirit works in us and through us. And I think that's why that foundation of faith and hope and love is absolutely essential. Hope that draws us to faith that is grounded in love becomes the bedrock of our reference in this world. When everything else is in chaos, we can come back to trust that when I stuff up, God will restore me when I come to him, that he doesn't reset my account, but he picks up where we left off. Faith and hope and love are the way back to that intimacy with God. When I find myself unsure of what to do next, they're my reference point. God, what does it look like to follow you in this moment? When I'm gripped by fear, I ask him to just baptize me afresh in his love. See, there's something we can learn in our times of testing that we're not going to learn in any other time. There's an invitation and an opportunity to experience God in this moment of seeing what trust looks like as we foster and develop it in our hearts, as we take the opportunity to learn from where we've been. There's something that we can only learn now that we're not going to learn in another time. And I don't think I learned it before this time, and so I need to learn it now. What's God saying to you about that? What does it look like to be a people who have been with Jesus? What does it look like to have be so marked 
by his work in our lives that people recognize before we even say anything. Or maybe before we give them the invitation to repent and respond to the Lord, maybe they go, there's something different about you. As we are here today together, wherever you are, wherever you're connecting to this moment, when we surrender our lived experience to God, he releases us afresh to live out our identity in him. Jesus counts you in when you're with him. Paul reminds us that this is a, it's going to be a fight. Paul writes in Romans that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We've got to take this truth. We've got to take this reminder, this repentance, this experience. We've got to keep reminding ourselves of the goodness of Christ, of coming back to him, of spending time with him. So my challenge to us all is what does it look like in the week ahead to be with Jesus? To spend time with him, to be in his word, to allow his Holy Spirit to access our life, to allow him to stir in our heart a fresh passion for the people that he's put around us, for him, for his kingdom, for what it looks like in our lives. Don't expect that doing the same thing that you've been doing up to the present will give you different results. Turn your life back to him and see what he can do. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.